Shall we turn now for a few moments to the book of Psalms, chapter 19? The book of Psalms, chapter 19, and the last verse, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. We live in a society today in which the number or the quantity of words is constantly multiplying. We are experiencing a communications revolution and explosion which is multiplying words by the million almost by the day. We think not only of the communications that are made uh, on paper, we think also of the communications by telephone. The number of people with telephones is multiplying every year around the world. The number of people with computers who can communicate through telephone lines with one another. The communication that takes place uh, through satellites all over the world. The result is that the number of words which are being used today has multiplied in to quite an extraordinary degree. And so we live in an age of a large quantity of words. But the psalmist here reminds us that quality is more important than quantity as far as words and as far as many other things are concerned. God has created us as a race able to speak and to talk in order that we might be able to communicate with one another. Words and the capacity to articulate them and to understand them has been have been given to us in order to help us to have fellowship, in order to help us to relate, in order to help us to understand one another, and also in order to help us to have fellowship with God. Because the God who has created us and given us the gift of speech is a God who himself has spoken and who speaks. He is a God who has given us his word in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the witness to that word with a capital W in the scriptures which is, which are the word of God. And so words play a vital role in our human existence. They are very powerful things. They are capable of influencing the nature of our relationships with others, as we've seen. James, in his epistle, tells us, you will recall from our reading in the third chapter, that words are like the bit which guides a horse, or the rudder which guides a ship. What we say with our tongue, and how we say it, is a key element in the, not simply the creating and maintaining of our relationships with others, but also in the forging of our destinies. Now this does not mean to say, this emphasis on words, that motives don't matter. In our reading from Matthew chapter 5, you will recall that Jesus said that thoughts are crucially important, that thoughts will be judged as well as deeds and as well as words. He warned very sternly that those who use pious words to conceal evil thoughts 
will receive an even greater condemnation. Some of his harshest strictures were directed to those who blasphemously used religious rites as a camouflage to a life and to a thought life especially which was unclean. But in general, I think it can be said that words are related to our character. That generally what we say and how we say it reveal what we are. I think it was uh, Thomas Brooks who said, We know metals by their tinkling and men by their talking. You remember our Lord tells us that we shall be called to account for every idle word or every careless word. And I think that, that the significance of that saying of our Lord is that it is the careless words which reveal what we are. The Freudian slips as we have come to call them today. It is these idle words, words which are not premeditated, which reveal us as we are. And we will be called to give an account of these. Not simply the carefully studied statements. But the idle words. The Freudian slips. Now the Bible has a great deal to say about words and about speech. It condemns the scorner, the liar and the slanderer. By contrast it commends the mouth of the righteous. It reminds us as we've seen in our readings tonight that the tongue has a, it has a tremendous potential for good or for evil. And not only does the Bible present to us precepts concerning the tongue, it also presents to us a model of the perfect use of the tongue in our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us not only that he did no sin, but that no guile was found in his mouth. These words are told us by Peter. Peter is someone who knew Jesus intimately and it is significant that he himself was someone who found it particularly difficult to control his tongue. And so if we take the teaching of the Bible and the example of Jesus together we discover that the Bible has a considerable amount to say about how we should use words about the type of speech which is condemned and the type of speech which is commended and for a few moments this evening I would, look, I would like us to look at each of these categories the speech which the Bible condemns and the speech which the Bible commends If we look at the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, part of which we read, we will discover that there are three types of speech, that is, use of words, which Jesus condemns. First of all, he condemns destructive words. He tells us in uh, Matthew chapter 5, at verse 21, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, but whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. 
And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Jesus is here talking about people who use words like Raka and fool. It's difficult for us to at first, at first to appreciate the significance of what Jesus is saying because we do not know, uh, or at least because our background today is different from his. But apparently Raka was a term of scorn. It was often spoken against people who lacked ability. They were scorned as being uh, ignorant or being duds. And Jesus is here saying that this is something very serious. He is condemning those who use words of scorn to destroy the confidence of men and women who in some aspect of life may have a lesser ability than in others. But also the word fool is used here in a sense which we don't use it today. In the time of Jesus it was used in, with reference to someone who was immoral it was a term of, of slander at least in this instance here someone whose uh, life uh, lacked moral fiber and Jesus says that if we use words in these ways use words as instruments of scorn and of slander then we are in danger of the fire of hell now what Jesus is doing here is that he is warning us against the vicious use of words. In the, his commentary in the sixth commandment he says that we don't simply need to use a knife to kill someone. Words can kill. Words can be vicious. Words can be destructive. And words are frequently used to hurt and to humiliate. And Jesus is saying that in, according to the laws of his kingdom such use of words is condemned and all of us have to confess I fear that we have used words and we still use words in a destructive way and we need to recognize that the destructive use of words is not permitted in the kingdom of God now Jesus reminds us how very serious it is that such use of words can place us in danger of hellfire. The second category of words that Jesus condemns in this uh, chapter of the Sermon on the Mount are what we might call deceptive words. We look at verse uh, 33 of the Sermon on the Mount. Again you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven for it is God's throne nor by the earth for it is his footstool neither by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king neither shalt thou swear by thy head because thou canst not make one hair white or black but let your communication be yea yea nay nay for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil Jesus is here referring to the background of Pharisaic casuistry concerning oaths they used oaths in order to say something and to mean and communicate a, 
something quite different. Normally an oath was recognized to be binding and if someone said something under oath then it had to be true. But in order to get around this the Pharisees apparently had the custom of uh, swearing in the name of the earth or in the name of the city of Jerusalem, their capital city. And if they made a statement under oath which referred to the earth, the oath referred to the earth or to Jerusalem, then that statement need not be true. And it was a way of, of, of uh, excusing themselves from the obligation of the oath and to use words deceitfully in order to deceive other people. And the scriptures remind us constantly about the danger of using words deceitfully. And the psalmist has a great deal to say about this. He was the victim of the deceitful use of words. And the scriptures have a great deal to say also about half-truths and how half-truths can communicate untruths. Abram, you remember when he went to Egypt, said that Sarah was his sister rather than his wife. In a sense, it was true, but the purpose was to deceive. We have half-truths constantly being put before us by the advertising industry. And we have to beware of them. And we have to constantly to remind ourselves that we must not use words deceptively. We have to let our yes be yes and our no be no as Jesus says here. We must communicate in a way which is clear rather than ambiguous and deceitful. And so Jesus warns us against the destructive use of words and the deceptive use of words. And he also warns us against what we might call devalued words. He warned his disciples in the following chapter against the practice of using vain repetitions or empty phrases in their prayers. Our Lord was referring to a mechan mechanical repetition of words. A mechanical repetition of words while one's thoughts were mi are miles away. And the words of the prayers that our, Pharise that our Lord was uh, describing were being produced like washers in, on an assembly line in a factory today. A worker will churn them out by the thousand, while his thoughts are a hundred miles away. And it's significant that Jesus here is using uh, this phrase, vain repetitions, in the context of prayer. Because often it is easy for us to devalue words in prayer and to use a jargon, or to, or to, to, to devalue words to the level of jargon in our prayers, especially in our public prayers. And we are constantly reminded of the need of sincerity in our prayers. And prayer can often be an exercise in empty phrases. This has been a problem in many generations. Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher in London of the last century used to complain of the way in which words in his prayer meeting were devalued. Let me quote uh, from him. I can, he said, that the prayer meetings readily tell 
when the brother is praying and when he's only performing or playing at prayer. You know how it is with some prayers, they are like an invoice, as per usual, or a list of goods with ditto ditto every here and there. And then Spurgeon goes on, Oh, for a living groan, one sigh of the soul has more power in it than half an hour's recitation of pretty pious words. Oh, for a sob from the soul or a tear from the heart. And so the speech which the scriptures condemn includes the devalued use of words in prayer. In that prayer, particularly public prayer and public worship, can become a performance rather than an exercise in worship, in leading others in worship. So the speech which is condemned is then destructive words, deceptive words and devalued words. But the Bible, of course, is a book which is positive as well as negative. God has given us his word not to analyze us and our need, but also and above all to point us to the remedy for that need. And so we have not only speech which is condemned, but speech which is commended. And the Bible tells us that first of all our words should be wise. In Psalm 37 verse 30 we read the mouth of the righteous utters wisdom. One of the features of the life of the righteous person, says the psalmist, is that that person will speak wisely. And that is to be a feature, a characteristic of the words of those who belong to the kingdom of God. Our words ought to be wise. Now in order for our words to be wise we obviously have to think before we speak because all of us know perhaps some of us from bitter experience how unthinking speech can carry us further than we intend or desire to go. Wisdom or wisdom in speech requires not only thinking before speaking it also requires listening as well as speaking. We need to listen to what others say. Wisdom does not, is not generated in our hearts. We receive that wisdom from others and above all from the word of God and we need to listen to what God is saying to us and what others are saying to us. Someone said that we have two ears and one mouth which indicates that we should listen twice as much as we speak. We certainly ought we need to learn to listen in order to be wise when we speak wisely our words will be fit and appropriate to the situation the book of Proverbs reminds us that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver but secondly the scriptures tell us that our words ought to be just not simply wise, but just. In Psalm 37 verse 30 we read that of, of, of this person whose words are wise that his tongue speaks justice. In other words, when we speak we must seek to be fair. We must seek to be just in our verdict of others. It's very easy, but very cowardly 
to speak behind to speak unfairly behind someone else's back it's easy to be critical of someone when they are not there to defend themselves similarly we have to be aware of the danger of flattery the danger of saying things which are not true and which are unjust in order simply to please others so on the one hand there's the danger of slander and on the other there's the danger of flattery and the answer lies in following the path of justice of being fair we need to be constantly aware of the danger of venting our prejudice and our emotions we need to recognize that others have the right to their opinion and that our prejudices whether they be religious political cultural or racial can not be imposed upon others many of us say what we want to say rather than what is strictly just and as we approach a period of political elections when where there will be a battle of words we need to recall that we need to remember that words must be used fairly in the kingdom of god or by people by the citizens of the kingdom and so we're able to recognize the difference between our own prejudices the, the way we see things and the way we like to see them and we we can have our prejudices there's nothing wrong with being with having a point of view but we need to know the difference between a point of view and that which is true and that which is fair and that which is just and so our words must be wise they must be just and also they must be kind in the last chapter of the book of proverbs we have a picture of the features of a worthy woman and one of these characteristics of a worthy woman is that she when she opens her mouth she opens it with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue the teaching of kindness is on her tongue our words ought to be kind in order to encourage the downhearted in order to comfort the distressed in order to reconcile the antagonistic one of the translations of the book of job renders the verdict of one of job's friends who came to him and reminded him of what he was he said your words put men on their feet and our words as citizens of the kingdom of god ought to put people on their feet they ought to be kind without being flattering and without being deceitful they ought to be kind and to give an ex- to give expression to the love of which paul spoke when he wrote 1 corinthians chapter 13 that love which looks for what is best in someone else that love which is genuinely kind Paul writing to the Colossians said let your speech always be gracious that is full of grace 
And the word grace may there be being used in the sense of beauty. May your speech always be attractive. Seasoned with salt, he said. Now, salt was used as a figure of, for wit. And what, a, what, what, what Paul is saying here is that our speech should be attractive and should be, should be to some extent, memorable in that uh, we, should, we should encourage other people. Perhaps scintillating is too strong. It should help a situation, just as salt was, uh, was a corrective which kept, you know, it kept meat from, from, uh, from decomposing. Uh, it was a preservative. So our speech should be kind in that sense and should be beautiful in that sense of preserving a situation, not making it worse, but making it better or at least keeping it from getting worse. Our speech should be seasoned with salt so that we may know how we ought to answer everyone. Now Paul is there thinking of a Christian having to answer for his faith. And in that situation he says, our speech, our conversation should be attractive, it should be gracious, it should be beautiful. And it should preserve the situation rather than be confront confrontational and destructive. And so the word of God gives us this practical advice about how we should speak. Our words ought to be wise, our words ought to be just, and our words ought to be kind. And we ought, in accordance with the teaching of our Lord, to avoid the use of the, the destructive use of words and the deceptive use of words and the devalued use of words, all of which are so common in our fallen society. There's great potential in the tongue. The tongue is a fire, says James. It is a world of iniquity. It can give expression to the original sin that lurks within our heart. One of the Puritans said that an unbridled tongue is the chariot of the devil, wherein he rides in triumph. And yet, it is with these same words that we are to praise God. It is with the, say, our, the same tongue that we are to witness to Christ and to preach the gospel and to praise his name. We are commanded and we are called to abjure the destructive and deceptive and, and, and devalued use of words and use our words for the glory of God. We must invite Christ to redeem not only ourselves but also our tongues, our whole being. Someone has said that if he's not redeemed the tongue, he's not redeemed us. The mouth of the righteous, says the book of Proverbs, is a fountain of life. And that is how we are called upon to live. If we name the name of Christ, then our mouth ought to be a fountain of life. A gentle tongue, to quote the book of Proverbs again, is a tree of life. gentle tongue in other words produces fruit which is attractive and decorative in contrast a, 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 a evil tongue is like a forest fire says James it destroys all that lies before it 
And so we are called upon to use our tongues to the glory of God. And we can only do that as we live our lives in the power of Christ who used his words wisely, justly and kindly. Who did not sin with his tongue but he used his words to communicate the good news to his and to succeeding generations. For you, when he used his words to build up those who were broken hearted to strengthen those who were weak to give hope to those who were in despair and so also we are called to be his servants and to use our tongues in the service of his kingdom that our words may communicate his word and that we may be his ambassadors wherever our lot may be cast May God enable each and all of us this evening and throughout the days that lie ahead to live our lives and to use our tongues to the glory of God and to the well-being of others. Let us pray. Our gracious Lord and God, we come at the close of this service to confess that so frequently and so unconsciously we allow our tongues to be to use words in ways which are unworthy of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and we pray that we may be forgiven for every all the harsh words that we have said that we may be, be forgiven for all the deceptive words that we may have uttered and that we may be forgiven for the devalued words that we have used, especially in Christian service. And we ask, O oh Lord, that tonight you may enable our words to be wise, to be just, and to be kind. Words which will build others up. Words which will enable people to stand on their feet. Words which will communicate the beauty and the love and the winsomeness of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Grant, Lord, that our tongues may be taken tonight and sanctified and set aside for your glory. Hear this, our prayer, for we offer it in and through the name of Jesus, your Son, our Saviour. Amen. <laughs>